morning we're going to continue in our time in Mark. And I'm just, I'm thankful for Randy reading. It's a long passage. And so really what I need to begin with today is uh, a couple things. The first one is, is a correction. So last week we were talking about Jesus coming uh, to the established religion of the day and how he came to point them to the, the real end, which was knowing God, rather than how they had worshipped the means, the religion, the, the practices. And one of the things that I said was that there were uh, 39 different activities that the Pharisees had forbidden, uh, or 39 different reasons to fast. And the reality is I kind of got that crossed up. It's later on in the Sabbath where, where the Pharisees had created 39 uh, different ways that you could break the Sabbath, like things that were punishable. And so, so that's the correction. The other thing is, is just a confession this morning that this is a really long passage. Um, I know that I'm combining a couple things here. And so the, the hope then this morning is that we get this, this top-level view, this 5,000-foot view, rather than a, a deep dive. But one of the beautiful things is that we believe that we are the church together. So this isn't the finality of our time in the Word this week. This is just the beginning, and I hope that it's just this launch pad that sends us back into this passage later on, and we can mine the depths of these truths, because there's some things in here that we're not going to touch on, some good questions that you can ask yourself throughout this week. You know, some of the the questions that come to mind are, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Why 12? What's significant about that number? And we've seen it other times throughout Scripture. What is blasphemy? That's a a good question to ask. Why does Jesus ask, who are my mother and my brother? And so just knowing that, understanding that, hey, we're not going to hit all of these things this week. But let's find them for ourselves. Let's use this as a a time that that sends us, just whets the appetite. To say, hey, I want to go and I want to look in God's word and I want to see where these things are. And then share that together as the church, right? Call each other. Text each other. Encourage one another in the truths that you find because that's what we need. And that is what we're called to do, to point each other to Christ. That's our mission, is to point each other to Christ. And so we believe that we get to do that as the church. Well, this morning we continue uh, in looking at the person of Jesus and how he interacts with people how he interacts with those around him, how this morning, how he calls the disciples to himself. Um, And so we're going to see that again. And and Mark has been faithful in pointing out those things throughout the first two chapters. And then today we get to see it again in the third chapter. The pillar commentary that I use that really is helpful points out that really what this section might be about could be this insiders and outsiders. It says this, that the status of insider or outsider is determined by one's proximity and receptivity to Jesus. So as we think about that, as we look at all these different people that Jesus is interacting with in this long passage, you have the the crowds, then you have a, a smaller crowd, and then you have disciples, and then you have the 12 apostles, and then you have three particular disciples that he gives new names to, then you have Demons, again, where they interact by calling him the Son of God. You have his family. You have the Pharisees. So there are a ton of characters in this story that Jesus interacts with. 
But you could categorize them into two groups. You could categorize them into insiders and outsiders. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is flipping the table on us. We saw it last week when he challenges uh, the Pharisees and, and, and religion and practice that, that may not have the heart behind it. And he points to, hey, what, what is the purpose of the law? The law is to point to who God is. And if we get caught up and we miss the purpose of the law, then, then we're not fulfilling the law, even if we keep all of the statutes. Our hope is that this morning, we too see who God is. We see him in the person of Jesus. And that it changes us. That we don't leave here the same way that we walked in this morning. That we would be conformed. That we would have a greater sense of calling. That we would run and chase after Jesus with our whole lives. And that that in doing that, we would have this joy that when we call others to do it too, they would say, man, that looks awesome. (laughs) That looks like there's joy there. And it's not due to circumstances, because our circumstances could really stink sometimes. And yet we can have joy in those circumstances. And so I pray that today we would, we would see that if God has called us to be insiders, if he's made a way for us to be insiders, that there is a satisfaction that we have in being with Jesus that can't be taken away from us. Let's pray and ask God to give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Lord, would you do a work today? God, it's a work that we need. It's a work that we're desperate for. God, we need to believe. But we can't conjure that belief up. Even as Chris said in the the prayer of confession, we believe that you've given us this gift of faith. And so, Lord, would you stir that in us today? God, and would that faith then lead to action? Would it lead to obedience? Would it lead to us doing the will of the Father? Not for our sake, even though in the participating, we get a satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else. But the, the main reason would be for your glory and your fame, God. God, we thank you that we can pray this prayer with confidence. As many others are praying the same prayer throughout the world this morning, asking that you would speak to your church. We thank you that you have spoken through your word. Help us to believe it to be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to just spend a minute on the crowd. This idea of uh, there is a crowd. And this crowd that has continued to follow Jesus is getting bigger and bigger. And we know that because in Mark one thirty three he said that the whole city was outside the door. But here in Mark 3, 7 through 9, we see that it's not just that city, but it's many other cities. He calls out some specific places, and I try to pronounce them, but I looked it up, and they, people pronounce them differently. Like, there's no way that one of those is right, because they're all different. But Edumia, I don't know if I've ever heard of that before, but it's the south of Israel. It's like the very bottom, when you're looking north to south on a regular map. And then Sidon is, is all the way up in the north, and Sidon is about 50 miles north of Capernaum. And Jerusalem is about 85 miles south of Capernaum. And Edumia is even farther south than that. So we're talking a very large scale here. Not just people in that city, but people throughout the country are beginning to hear about this Jesus who is changing lives. And sometimes it's probably this 
Jesus forgave my sin. He changed this inner thing in me. But I'm sure that most of it is this outward. I was healed. I had a demon and, and it, it's, it's no longer in me. Or, or I was a leper and now I'm clean. I was lame and now I can walk. And so it's this outward things. But, but they're still proclaiming and, and telling people about this Jesus. And so now they're coming from everywhere. They're coming from all over the country. And so this is the crowd that's gathering. And it's a theme that continues to run through the gospel. There's always crowds, and yet Jesus, in his uh, perfect divinity and humanity, sees the crowd, realizes that maybe it's, it's limiting him because it's pressing in on him, and yet he sees the individuals. And he meets their needs. And he has great compassion for them both individually and as a crowd. His heart is broken because he knows the reason that he has come. You see, the reason that Jesus has come is not to heal each individual, but to redeem for himself a people. And he does that through laying down his life and becoming a ransom for many. We've seen it many times as we've referenced Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He continued to heal the sick and to cast out demons. It says it in verses 9 and 10. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Verse 11, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he ordered them not to make it known. We've seen this before too. Why does Jesus tell them not to make it known? And so if you remember a couple weeks ago, when the leper who was cleansed, Jesus strictly told him, hey, don't tell anybody about this. We're not sure. We think he probably told some people because now other cities are coming to gather and see this Jesus. The whole country is there. But why would Jesus say that? And We remember that Jesus is reminding them again that he's come to save and cleanse a people, his bride. And he's going to do that by going to the cross. He's going to do that by, on the way to the cross, seeing the individuals, healing them, meeting their needs. But ultimately, he meets their greatest need, their need for one who could save, who could atone for the sins that they have. And so Jesus comes with the purpose of the cross in mind. But the cross isn't the end. From the cross he goes and is resurrected and he rises again and it proves that he is king, he is Lord, he is the God that he says he is. And we're going to see that in today's passage. He is the triune God. He is the second person in the Trinity. And so as we, could be another question to look up this week. What is the Trinity? Dive into that. And so we see these crowds. But out of the crowds those who would just see, those who would observe, he calls some to actually know him. He calls some to be with him. Let's keep reading. In 13, it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. This idea that um, Jesus would desire community is not new. If Scripture is true, and we believe it is, then Jesus has always experienced community in the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this triune God, forever worshiping and giving glory and honor to one another. And now, God has created mankind and invited us into that same community. And so Jesus, on his mission on earth, seeks out community. He draws people to himself, men that he would desire, people that he would desire. And if he desired them, then they came to him. There's a truth here that when God calls, he changes our hearts so that we would long for him. And so there's good news there for us today. If you have any longing for God, it's because he's put this desire in your heart. And no matter what you do, you can't change that. You can't thwart that. You can't crush what God is doing. And so, as God would call those that he desired, they came to him. And then what does he do in 14? I love this. He says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. See, Jesus is continuing to do what he's doing. But the crowds are getting bigger. And so he's inviting these men to participate in what he's doing. To be with him. And then to preach the good news that he's preaching. That a Savior has come. That Jesus has come. And to continue to meet the needs. The physical, tangible needs of those who are coming to him. But we have to get it in the right order. The first thing that he calls them to is to be with him to know Him, to experience Him, to see His compassion, to walk with Him. That He appointed 12 um, is, is, in, is really beautiful because when it says He appointed 12, the, the original Greek is more likely means He made 12. He made 12. He didn't choose them because those 12 had these... The, these character qualities that he's like, man, I'm going to, these guys are the guys I need. These guys bring something to the table. No, he picked these 12 and then he made them apostles. He made them disciples. He changed their hearts so that they would pursue him to the end. And now we see three years of them wobbling. <laughs> we see three years of them misunderstanding but then we also know because we have the whole of Scripture that these men went on. These, these 12 apostles and Paul, who was the 13th apostle. By the way, apostle is different from disciple because apostle means that Jesus spoke to them and called them to this position. And so these 12 apostles, he, he made them apostles when he called them. And then he came to Paul on the road to Damascus and he individually called Paul to be an apostle for him, to be one who would declare, to, to be the mouthpiece for him, but also to know him, to be with him. And so he made these 12 apostles. They were men of character, but when did they get that character? Did they have it when they came to the table, or did Jesus create that in them? In, in them? And so we believe that God is working that in us. As followers of Christ, we believe that we are not perfect today. And yet, daily we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being made and transformed into His image so that people can see and worship a holy God. Not because we're holy, but because He's changed us. Amen? That's good news for us today. We don't have to come having, been, having made it 
He is making us into his followers. And then we have, what does he make us to do? He makes us to proclaim, to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons, to meet the needs of those around us, to point to truth. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. We'll call it that. That is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You see, we have these 12 men, and, and we tend to put them on this, I tend to put them on this pedestal. Maybe you guys don't. I tend to think that, man, those guys had it together. But thankfully, we have Scripture that says that they didn't have it together, and yet they continued to follow Christ through persecution, through the crowds that would press in and make these demands, because now, as Jesus is sending them out, all of the demands that were being made on Him are also being made on these men. So their life doesn't get easier by following Christ. Their life gets more complicated. And yet they have a satisfaction of being with God and knowing God that nobody can take away. Verse 20 says, And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard this, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Insiders and outsiders, if we continue with that theme. When we think, who should be insiders in this group? We listed all the different characters that are, that are in the story. Insiders would be family. You would think Jesus' family would know him. You would think that the Pharisees, the, the teachers, the scribes would know. They've studied all of Scripture. They have all of the promises. They would be the ones that would know him. And yet Jesus continues to point to the fact that the insiders are those that he would call. And it may not even be family. The family could be mistaken, and they are here. It's where it says family in verse 21, um, there's a, a couple different translations that, that say it differently. Um, but it, it means they're, they're understanding Sorry, I thought I had the note. Kent Hughes says it this way. What he did mean was that there was a deeper kinship than flesh and blood, a spiritual kinship which is characterized by obedience to the Father. You see, that he's saying that the people that were of him, and the people that were of him did not even get it that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was out of his mind. And so they're coming and trying to, to get him to speak truth, to say, hey, calm down. You're really rocking the boat here. Some of the things you're saying are pretty crazy. And they miss that he is the son of God, that he is Lord. Instead, they said he's out of his mind. And, and if you jump down, from 21 to 31, we kind of sandwich this idea of family. So then his mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. 
It's continuing in that, hey, they're trying to get a hold of Jesus, but they can't get to him because the crowds are all pressed in. But they want, they, they want to help him. They want to help him be understood because they don't understand him. And Jesus answers them and he says, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. When we talk about insiders, those who do the will of God, those are the insiders. Those are the apostles that Jesus had called to himself that follow in his will, that do the work of the ministry. And so we're given this idea that God has come and he's redefining what is family. So often we think that family is the truth, the reality, and that church is the picture of that reality. Church is the image of that reality. But, but community with God, as sinners saved by grace gathering at the foot of the cross, that is our reality. That's our greatest reality. Family then becomes a picture of that true reality. That we can gather together and we can forgive one another and we can be gracious and kind to one another only happens because of the work of Jesus Christ. And yet we think that family should do all of those things. And we put it on this pedestal and say that family's family's the real thing and church is the image, but the but God has established the church. And I don't mean the church in uh, us getting together and just having a good time. I mean the church of people who believe that Jesus is necessary. People who repent of their sins. People who, as sinners at the foot of the cross, have to come running back daily, hourly, minutely to that truth and reminding one another of that truth. That's the church. That's who God has called. Those are the insiders. Family is this beautiful thing that he's given us to reflect that truth. And yet we get our priorities mixed up. And so here Jesus is saying, who is my brother and my mother? He said, those who do the will of the Father, those who walk with me, that know me, just like he says in 14, that he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. And by being with him, they would know him. And so when he says to go out and preach, they know what to preach. When he says to go out and, and cast out demons, he, they know what he means because they've been with the Father. They've been with Jesus and have seen the Father. Sandwiched between this idea of family and, and maybe how they missed it. And I don't want to say that they missed it because we see that Jesus' brothers go on and they become insiders. Not because they are related to Jesus, but because they believe in Jesus. We see that Mary has this great belief that she's been given this gift. Not because she's the mother, but because God has granted her belief. And so when Jesus is on the cross and he looks at James and John and he tells them to take care of his mother, he doesn't tear down family. He's saying, hey, you have put family in the wrong place. But family's still a good thing. It's only when it becomes the main thing, right? Just like any other idol that we have, whenever that good thing becomes the God thing, that's when we have issues. 
But family is this beautiful gift that God has given us. And so he's not here to abolish the family. He's just saying, hey, you, you've been mistaken. You've put these things above me. And sandwiched in this idea of family, Jesus talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So let's read verses 22 through 30. And the scribes came down from Jerusalem. The scribes who came down from the Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. Again, who would we expect to be the insiders? The people that have studied the word, that would, that would know Scripture. And yet they're saying that this Jesus that, that we've seen, we've seen him do some things, he's got to be possessed by a demon. He's got to be of the devil. And Jesus answers them and says, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> he says, just pure logic. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a, if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. It doesn't make sense what you're saying. If I was of Satan, I wouldn't cast out demons. Then he goes and he talks about if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. This parable is pointing to the greater reality where, where Satan is defeated. Where the way that he entangles us, as Chris talked about earlier, the sin that, that entangles us has been crushed. Because J Jesus comes and he binds the strong man. And he does it by coming to the cross and paying the debt that we owe. And he defeats sin and death and Satan at the cross. And he rises again on Resurrection Sunday that we celebrated a couple weeks ago and we remember every Sunday. Jesus has defeated sin and death and now we can walk in righteousness because the chains are broken. Satan's a liar and he still uses lies and deceit, but it's, he's broken, he's defeated because the strong man has been defeated. And Jesus is pointing to that truth and he's reminding the scribes, he's telling the scribes and he's reminding his disciples that that's true. And then he will come and he will plunder the strong man's house. He will redeem those things that, that have been broken, that have been torn away, that have been crushed. Jesus says in 28, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemy, blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. When we think about what is the sin that would separate us from God, it's unbelief. It's unbelief that what he says is true is true. And it's unbelief that this Jesus, this man, was truly God. If we would say that he's, he's a liar or he's a lunatic or he's a madman or he's demon-possessed, then we do not believe that he is the Son of God, that he is God incarnate. Scripture is very clear that the only way 
to know God is through Jesus. John 14, 6-7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus is God in the flesh. And we have to believe that. He's the only way that we come to God. Because if we believe that he's God in the flesh, then we believe that God has come and humbled himself, paid a debt that we could not pay, reconciled us to a holy God. We sung the song, only a holy God. He is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, and we are not. And we needed a sacrifice that is holy and righteous and pure. And because all men have sinned, it required God himself coming in the form of man, being fully man and fully God, and giving his life as a ransom for many that we would be reconciled to him. And if we say that Jesus was not God, then we take that away. We blaspheme the spirit of God that dwells inside of Jesus. And so this morning, that's our confession. Jesus, you are God. You are the one that we need and you've come and you've done everything that was necessary to redeem a people for yourself, not so that those people would be redeemed, but that you would be glorified, that you would be worshipped, that you would be given the praise that you're due. And so we rest in that. There's a real caution here for us who would... Uh, say that we, we are the people of God because if, if those who should have been insiders missed it, then if you are a, a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid or you're the pastor or you're the missionary, you could miss it too. But if God has chosen you and called you to himself and desired you and you spend time and you see in his word the beautiful face of Jesus, you can rest. You can rest with confidence that I'm growing in Christ, that I'm being made into that disciple, that he's making me. But don't rest on what on you, the fact that you should be an insider, that all these circumstances point to the fact that you should be an insider. And don't be discouraged if you feel like an outsider. Chris preached a couple of weeks ago the calling of Levi, that the man was shunned by every group that could shun him, and yet Jesus came and he said, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to your house. And they went and they ate together with other sinners who felt like outsiders. You see, Jesus is flipping the table and he's saying that the only thing that matters is that you know me and that by knowing me, you do my will. You walk in my ways. You walk in the righteousness that I purchased for you at the cross. So this morning we come with confidence. So what's the difference between an insider and an outsider? Mark 3.35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the business of Jesus. This is what he's come to do. He's come to make insiders out of outsiders. He's come to make us a people who would love him and enjoy Him, and be satisfied in Him. Don't get me wrong, following Jesus is hard. 
If people missed it about Jesus and called him a lunatic and a madman, they're going to say it about us. If we're following Jesus, there will be times where people will say, you're a lunatic or you're a fanatic or you're a madman. And if, if that's not happening, we probably need to ask why it's not happening. We need to do that, that self-check uh, and say, God, why, why do I fit in with all these people that are worshiping something else? Am I not proclaiming the good news? Am I not making the, the stands that you made? So following Jesus is hard, but following Jesus is satisfying. You see, the, the greatest thing that we have in being a follower of Jesus is we have Jesus. We get to be with him. He desired us, he calls us, and then we get to be with him as disciples of Christ, as followers of the living God. We get to know him. We get to know everything that, a, that his people have been promised in him. Jesus satisfies the greatest gift is himself. And the beautiful thing that we see, another beautiful thing that we see in this passage is that our being made into disciples doesn't rest on us. Jesus is making us into disciples. And he's faithful. He's the only one. If we rested on our own ability to do it, we are a faithless people, but we serve a faithful God. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. The work that he's doing in his disciples is his work, and the gates of hell cannot prevent it from happening. Most of all, God creating disciples brings glory to himself. God is forming a people who believe in him and who worship him and who trust him. True insiders, true disciples, we devote ourselves to the worship and the proclamation of the God that we love and trust. That's what God's doing. Creating a people for himself, for his glory. Jesus, would you make us into that people? By your grace and for your glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that this morning you've used your scripture again to call us to repentance, to call us to belief, to call us to faith. God, I thank you that you are walking with us, that you are making us into disciples. I thank you that we can trust your word to be true. God, would you give us patience? Would you give us the gift of joy in being exactly where you want us to be and yet longing to grow deeper, longing to know you more? God, and will you draw others to yourself through us? Lord, would you use our lives for your glory? Will you make us that people? We thank you that you have done all the work required to do it, Lord, that you have walked perfect righteousness, that you died a sinner's death, that you rose again victorious and that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, even now interceding for your disciples, making us, continuing to make us into your image.
transforming the way that we think and speak and feel. All for your glory. God, we love and trust you and thank you this morning. Amen.